everybody and welcome along to episode number 12 of the Gunas of Malaysia podcast. On this episode, I'll be discussing Arsenal's 2-0 defeat to Chelsea, a preview of our next game against West Brom in the second round of the Carabao Cup, and to end off the episode, I'll give you my player ratings from the game against Chelsea. So with that being said, sit back, relax, grab your Tarik, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Right, so a 2-0 humbling from the European champions, the current European champions at home. Uh, very disappointing result, I'd say. You know, first time fans were back in the stadium for something like 500 days. I must say, at the start of the match, the place was electric. Uh, the fans really did their part, and you could see that they did I think you could really see the difference that fans make in football. And it was just really nice to to watch on TV as well. So, uh, well, starting off, Martin Odegaard was paraded around at the start of the match. You know, he, he wasn't available for this match because of um, a visa issue. It's nice to finally unveil him as an Arsenal player on a permanent basis. Uh, and hopefully we will see him for West Brom because uh, we need some help in that area of the pitch. Now, 2-0 defeat. I think the scoreline pretty much flatters us. It could have been a lot worse in my opinion. But at the same time, if decisions went our way, i.e. the penalty or Rob Holding's header, the game could have turned out very differently. But anyway, I think let's start off with the starting 11, yeah? Arteta decided to go for a back four instead of what I predicted, a back three for this match against Chelsea. I know a lot of people coming out from this game would be quite critical of it, but I think in hindsight, he's playing in, well, he set out a team to be offensive against Chelsea at home is the first time people are in the stadium again. So I think that's the methodology behind the selection of a back four. But I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, and his gamble just did not pay off. Now, interestingly, with the players that he selected, we easily could have gone to a back three. But having said that, let's just go through the starting lineup. So Leno in goal. You know, he really needed a good performance today, um, considering his below par, below expectations performance against Brentford last week. And I must say, before we go any further, I thought he had a pretty decent game. Cedric at right back, which was, I think, the most questionable start from the starting eleven. I didn't see Cedric starting at all, uh, purely because he wasn't really considered as a, you know, the second choice right back, at least, especially during preseason or even the past six months. You know, I even thought we might see Ainsley Maitland Niles at right back if Hector Bellerin wasn't available. And yes, team news came in pretty late. Bellerin was out with a tight calf. Yeah, um, a bit skeptical about that. But let's let's leave that be. Now, Cedric. I don't have a problem with Cedric. I think he's all right. He's a bit old. He's a decent right back. But in Chambers, I think he's in front of him. 
Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Apparently, he came out and said that he wants to play right back. So, I think his selection was a bit of a surprise. Now, so, moving on to our centre-backs, we had Holding and Pablo Marie. A bit of a change, a bit of a surprise because Ben White was in the squad and we found out he was uh, down with an illness, which turned out to be COVID. So, so we wish him a speedy recovery from COVID. You know, we want to see him on the pitch as soon as possible. So get well soon, Ben White. At left back, we had Kieran Tierney. I guess with the options that we had, standard. Uh, Lakonga and Shaka in midfield, uh, no surprises there. Smith Rowe as the number 10. Pepe on the right, Saka on the left, and Martinelli up front. Decent, decent squad, I'd say. It is missing a number of players here and there, but I think they're quality players, all in all. Uh, Martinelli, he didn't have a good game against Brentford, but I think we were a bit short on options in this match. Uh, Bamiyang started training and he was on the bench today. But I think, especially just coming back from COVID, I don't think he want to be starting the match. And quite honestly, I don't think he should have been on the bench as well. You know, you really want to get him uh, fit and rested for the rest of the season. So hopefully nothing goes wrong there. So that's the starting lineup. So unsurprisingly, Granit Xhaka was captaining us out for this match. And the first half started out pretty much as it did against Brentford. Uh, the first 14 minutes were pretty good in terms of an Arsenal perspective. I think we were fairly solid. Created a couple chances here and there. Smith Rowe, the key creator, I'd say. And the, but uh, yeah, the, the crowd, I think, really helped with that as well. That The fans really cheered the team on within the first 15 minutes. And I think you could see that. The players were quite happy to play in front of the crowd again. Now, that was the first 14 minutes. And, and not to mention, Pepe in front of a crowd looks completely different than Pepe without a crowd. Yeah, I, Within that first 15 minutes, he showed quite a lot of skill. He showed his pace to get away from three Chelsea defenders at one point. And that really got the crowd on their feet. So, you know, hopefully we get more of this and it's not just going to be in blotches for Pepe. But again, we started out well. We couldn't sustain the momentum, and that's been a hallmark of Arsenal's game so far. Now, so the goal we conceded after 14-15 minutes was from was from Lukaku. I think that's pretty unsurprising. You know, Lukaku had a really good game against our defenders. Uh, you, you can't say anything else. I mean, you have to say it as it is, right? He had a really good game. Uh, he should have had more than one goal, by the way. Uh, I think he was quite unlucky with some of his chances. So the goal came about when Kovacic released Reese James down the right-hand flank. And, well, Reese James just had acres of space for not only the first goal, but for the second goal as well. Kieran Tierney, I think, was at fault. Uh, well, not only the one at fault, I think Saka as well, because he was on the left flank, wasn't providing him any cover, I think, pretty much the whole game. Um, but yeah, Reese James from the right-hand side, simple cross into the box. Lukaku, with the easiest goal he's ever going to score for Chelsea, a tap-in from like five yards out. In that sense, I don't think he can really blame the goalkeeper. I think he did as much as he could. Uh, I will have to say that three players in particular were not very good on this goal. The first one, 
Unfortunately, I will have to say was Bukayo Saka. Like I mentioned before, he wasn't, he didn't provide much um, support for Kieran Tierney this whole match. And he wasn't in position for this. You know, Reese James, completely alone on their right-hand side. Tierney wasn't very good for this goal as well. He was definitely sucked in towards Lukaku. And, you know, credit to him. You know, he, he draws defenders to him. He holds the ball up really well, plays in a player that can pick out a pass in Kovacic and he releases James down the right hand side for Lukaku to finish at the end. It was a really well worked goal by Chelsea. But having said that, the last player that I think didn't really cover themselves in glory was Pablo Marie. Uh, well, what can you say? I mean, the, the replays, I, we should delete the replays because... <laughs> That was really awful defending, you know. He tries to keep up with Lukaku, but he just gives up halfway in the box and falls to the ground, expecting a free kick. But there's no way, there's no chance that he's getting a free kick right there. It's just weak defending. Lukaku got on the wrong side of him. He couldn't recover, and his only option was to throw himself to the floor, which, I mean, come on. At least try and make it hard for him. Not, you know, give up halfway, so there's that so yeah that was the first goal it wasn't very pretty in terms of arsenal and ever since that point chelsea could sit back or whenever they had the ball which was 65 percent of this game they just knocked it past our our defensive units with ease so i personally believe chelsea within this first half wasn't required to get out of second gear to um score the second goal as well and i i think i think we should talk about that because Again, it didn't take long. It was only, what, 34 minutes until their second goal. And yes, Reese James did score their second goal. It was basically almost a carbon copy or from the build-up of the second goal. Reese James, again, acres of space down that right-hand flank. He gets played in and he shoots a thunderbolt straight past Leno as soon as he gets into the box. I don't think the keeper can do much else in that sense as well, so... Can't really blame him, but again, Tierney was caught very centrally in, in this movement as well. So either either he's coming inwards to provide support to Pablo Marie against um, Lukaku, or it has to be, um, or it has to be the manager's instructions because I think in the replays you can see a little bit of hesitation from Tierney whether or not he should close down Reese James and. When obviously when Reese James is running straight at him, so that one was a little bit confusing, but it was not good, not good at all. Um, I think the main talking point that everyone comes out from this first half was the right. Well, obviously our left hand side. We conceded two goals from there, and Kiantini didn't look very good. You know, Chelsea exploited the fact that. Tierney is our only option to build up play and whenever we try and attack he's always basically deep into the opposition half and they took full advantage of that throughout that this first half. Aside from that, I think the formation he we really should have got Saka to just sit back um sit back and protect Tierney for about ten minutes or so before he bombs up field. You know, he runs at a defense upfield. I think that really could have helped things. But all in all, 
the quality between the two teams really showed. Even though once we go through, or when we went through the Arsenal team, it didn't seem like a very weak team, but uh, stacked up against the Chelsea formation and team, we looked second best at pretty much everything, uh, which was really disappointing. Now, we had a couple good chances. Well, I can't even say good chances. Uh, we had a couple chances in the first half, but nothing of note, which was kind of disappointing. I think after the first goal, the fans really tried to get the players motivated again because you could see that the players were sh a little bit shocked after the first goal. But after the second goal went in, uh, a bit tough, I'd say. I think it was a bit tough to come back from that. So our biggest chance came in the 40th minute and it went to um, Bukayo Saka, obviously, because he's uh, basically our tal talisman of the team, right? We had a huge penalty shot and I honestly do not understand how the penalty was not given. Uh, Reese James, obviously... There was a tangle of legs between Saka and Rhys James on the left-hand side of the penalty box. It looked like a stonewall penalty f when we saw it on, on, on TV. But the referee immediately waved it away and awarded a corner instead. VAR took maybe 10 seconds to look at it and decided against it as well. Which, on one, on one hand... I quite like that instead of deliberating and, and you know, it sparks a debate, etc, etc. I think this quick decisions by VAR is pretty good and we should keep that. However, I think it was still a penalty even with the new penalty rules. Purely because Saka was gone from Reese James. You know, he's in front of the player. But James comes in from behind and basically trips over him. I think that's a foul. That That's a clumsy foul on Saka in the box. That's just my opinion. It's not uh, a tangle of legs. I think it's a clumsy foul. And if it was anywhere else on the pitch, it would have been awarded as a foul. So would it have been soft? I don't think so. Honestly, I don't think so. So a weird call by the referee. But what I did want to mention from that is our players didn't really pressure the referee at all. You know, that there was a point in our history where as soon as a player goes down in the box, all the players would surround the referee and pressure him into the decision. But this time, everyone just, you know, what, I think uh, Shaka, Pepe maybe like raised their hands and that, that's about it. Nobody really confront. Well, the Conga confronted the referee and asked him why it wasn't a, a penalty, but everyone else just stood off. I thought that was quite weird from the team, you know. Uh, but hey, uh, well, I think we should. Yeah, but hey, I I think we should um, get go go back to those old roots of pressuring the referee. You know what? There's no downside to it. You know, referee can just say, no, my decision's done. And you won't get carded or anything. You won't get carded or anything. So I think it's a missed opportunity there. Especially with so many fans in the stadium again. We really could have pressured a referee into a, a decision there. But uh, it was not meant to be. Now, between the first half and the second half, Pablo Marie was, well, we say that uh, Ben White and Marie were, were bullied by Ivan Tony in the previous game against Brentford. But that wasn't bullying. 
Lukaku against Pablo Marie was bullying. Actually, it wasn't even bullying. It was more of an assault on him on the pitch because he just got manhandled throughout the entire match. Now, Marie comes out from this game with pretty good stats, like his interceptions, his tackles and things like that, I think were among the best in the game. But one thing stats doesn't show is the, you know, his physical presence against Lukaku. That's one thing that stats really can't show, but your eyes can. And I think everyone at stadium knew that Marie was done for in this game. You know, not only Lukaku, you know, the, the pace, the strength of Lukaku, but the trickery of Mason Mount. There's one chance in the, I think, 38th minute where Mount had had the ball down the left-hand side and Marie was the one out there to close him down. A little shimmy left and right and Marie was spinning around. <laughs> it, was, it, was not pretty to, it was not pretty to watch at all. You know, he is done by the power of Lukaku and he's done by the trickery of Mason Mount. The more we see of Marie, the more I think everyone thinks that he is definitely a backup central defender rather than a first-team starter. Even though he's a left-footed defender on the left side of defense, I don't think he should be starting. Um, yeah, I don't think he should be starting matches. I mean, he, I don't see what else he brings to this team other than some aerial ability. Some aerial ability as well, not ability prowess. So that that's my take on the first half with Pablo Marie. But... On a positive note, in that first half, Lakonga was actually pretty good. He had some standout moments on the ball in that first half, um, particularly in the opposition half, right outside the box. You know, you could see he has a good passing range and he has he has vision as well. So in terms of that first half, that was what really showed. But in the second half, he he was he definitely grew into the match. You know, and we have to remember he's. Only 21, it's his second game in the Premier League, second time he's playing Chelsea. His passing range in that second half was as good as peak Shaka as well. You know, he's bringing... And the other highlight moment in the second half was that Lekonga was able to take the ball off the, the defence and spread the play more effectively than Shaka at times. So... All round, Lakonga had a really good stand-up performance. So, just wanted to give him some credit there. So let's let's move on to the second half now, which, to be honest, was not better, any better than the first half. If anything, we just saw the frailties in our defense. Now, what's what's really evident now is the difference between. Arsenal's defending and Chelsea's defending. Well, we'll start at the top, right? Chelsea's pressing from the top is very committed. They work in groups and they're quite effective. You know, all of them know where to be, know when to press. In terms of Arsenal, Gabriel Martinelli's pressing levels are 10 times more effective than, I'd say, Saka, Pepe, maybe even Smith Rowe. Well, he's definitely the best out of the four. Right, then I would say Smithrow and then Saka and then Pepe. Because of that dynamic, our pressing from the front is actually awful. Because Martinelli is the only one putting pressure on the ball, 
and he's running, you know, 35 yards, sprinting after a ball, while everyone else is jogging to their man. And by the time Martinelli gets to the play he's closing down, he'll have the player on the ball will have time to look up, pick his next pass because the other players are not in position. And that contributed to I think about three chances in the second half where Chelsea played out from the back, played about five passes, and they were basically in the Arsenal box. And we've seen that against Brentford as well. So either Arteta decides, you know, we have to press from the front or everyone just sits back. Let them come to us. You know, it has it has to change. It really has to be one or the other. It can't be, I'm going to play a pressing game, but my players are not really going to press. You know, it's like a, yeah, we're running to quote-unquote press you. You know, so there's that. The other thing was, when Chelsea were on the attack, Arsenal's defending was very much one-on-one defending. While on the other side, when Arsenal were attacking, Chelsea were doubling up on each person on the ball, and that's why they got so many you know, interceptions and, and tackles in. Something's not right with our defending this season. It's, it's changed slightly from last, last season. So I think that needs to be fixed. And not to mention, when Chelsea go on the attack, it's one-touch football. Maybe two touches at most. And that really speeds up the ball. You know, well, it speeds up their play, and, and that's how they, they beat their man, essentially. Arsenal were... Well, we used to be one of the teams that were excellent at this, but now we just don't seem to want to do that anymore. And I don't know if it comes with confidence, or if it's a, a direction from the manager... But our build-up play is just far too slow compared to Chelsea's in this match and was f- completely evident, you know, from, from the first minute. But the second second half really exasperated this shortcoming, essentially. Now, two of our biggest, well, the other two big chances from this match that we got in the, came in the second half. The first one was from Saka. It was basically a pop shot from just outside the box. Now... I say it's a big chance, but I didn't think it really had a chance of scoring. You know, it went straight down the middle, essentially, where Mendy was. And Mendy, all he had to do was just tip it over the bar. It was uh, pretty much a routine save for him. So I wouldn't consider it a huge chance, but it was one of, well, one of three of our only chances in this match. So resulting from, I think, one of the corners right after that, Pepe... Puts in a decent, uh, puts in a decent corner. You know, I have to say, Pepe in this game as well. His crosses from corners were pretty good in comparison to recent memory. I think he's been a bit hit or miss in that department. But his crosses this game were, or his corners in this game, were pretty good. I have to give him that. So anyway, our our chance was from a Pepe corner. Went deep. It went pretty deep into the box. Marie rose highest, headed the ball backwards into the group of players, and Rob Holding, free header in the box. A little bit of a tough header because he had to get, you know, his neck contorted the other direction. But he really should have been doing, he really should have done better with a chance, you know, that his, his header in the end just was always curling wide. But it was a huge chance, huge moment in the game. If he got the goal back for Arsenal at that point, the Chelsea defence at that point did look a little bit suspect. 
and who knows the crowd could have been on our side and the tides could have turned you know but hey chance goes begging and we don't get anything else basically from from this game now our substitutes came in pretty early Saka came off on the 60th minute Aubameyang came on I have to say when Aubameyang came on he was quite lively up front there was one chance where Martinelli was on the ball on the break he really should have played Aubameyang in I think this is as soon as he got on basically the past it just didn't go through but yeah Aubameyang he did look he looked decent for his 30 minute cameo essentially there was another chance Laconga tried to play him in if Mendy was 10 yards further back into his goal I think Aubameyang reaches the through ball which was an excellent through ball by Laconga mind you and uh, who knows maybe he scores that um, 65 minutes bit of an unfortunate one but Tierney went off for Tavares um, Tierney looked like he picked up a knock hopefully it's not too bad um, it's been about three four days since the match uh, we still haven't heard much on Tierney so hopefully it's not too bad and he won't be missing any games so in the 76th minute Lukaku had a huge chance to get their third goal Chelsea's third goal but credit to Leno he pulled off a heroic save to deny Lukaku tipped his header onto the bar and out for a corner I must say that should fill him up with confidence <laughs> that should really fill him up with confidence and I think that save really secures him you know his position for the next game in in the league you know that's a save that Leno when he first joined makes but the Leno that played against Brentford would not make. So that, that's a good sign. I have to say that's a good sign. Spectacular. And I put that up there with the save he pulled off against Spurs um, in this stadium. I think two seasons ago. It was pretty much that good. I think the save was against Ericsson as well. So yeah, props to Leno for that. Top quality stuff as I've written down. From that corner, Martinelli actually went down uh, as, as the ball went out. I think he had cramp. We couldn't really see what was going on because the cameras were just focusing on the Lukaku chance. But the commentators did mention that Martinelli was um, picked up a knock. I'm not too sure. It looks like it, it was mentioned it was a muscular injury, perhaps, which I think is understandable. The, the boy hasn't had any rest since last season the olympics and then straight back in worked his socks off so yeah he was definitely worked into the ground this game so he came off in this eighth so he came off in the 78th minute and balligan came on but the interesting thing was the commentators did mention this martinelli was basically down on the ground and he was signaling to come off but apparently according to the commentators arteta didn't want to take him off at that point and tried to get him to play on but Shaka and a bunch of other Arsenal players were forcing the change and then Balogun was eventually brought on now if that's actually true and we can't verify that because we don't have footage of it I don't know what to make of that <laughs> you know why is Arteta making a, a decision like that you know and Something's not right there, but I'll just leave it at that. I, I thought it was a little bit weird. And just to round off the game, 86th minute, it's nothing too big, but 
I really think Pablo Marie should have been sent off for a second yellow card on a, a challenge on Lukaku, which actually was given the other way uh, as a foul from Lukaku. But looking back on it, because he was on the halfway line, and if Lukaku got away, he's basically running down on goal. So, strange one from the referee, but I was definitely expecting Marie to get sent off there. But thankfully, he just he was stuck on a yellow card, and he wasn't. So yeah, another weird decision by this referee, Paul Tierney. Oh, less of him, please. So that was pretty much the game. Um, but before we end off the discussion on the on the Chelsea match, I just want to say, Nicolas Pepe, I think is. I think Nicolas Pepe this season has become somewhat of a Mesut Özil in attack and defense. I didn't really see him pull off much defensive work in this match and it did restrict and it did hamper Cedric in defence slightly but his pressing game is pretty awful. Now mind you, when he was out of the team for Willian, when he came back in, this is Pepe I'm talking about, his pressing was actually pretty good when he had to prove a point but right now that he's starting matches without any competition it's a bit weird. He's he's not really putting in the work effort, you know? It's not working for the team. His pressing's more of like, oh, I'm pointing here, I'm pointing there, I'll jog over to you, and then the ball gets played past him. Not many people have picked up on this just yet since the game, but I think it's something to talk about soon because, again, we go back to our pressing methods. If we are still pressing, then this is an issue. However, if we are sitting back giving them space, then, you know, th this wouldn't be an issue. So Pepe, he's becoming a lug well, not becoming, he is a luxury player in the same mold as Mesut Ozil, except he's not laying down the assist as Mesut Ozil once did when he first joined Arsenal. So yeah, food for thought, I say. Right, so that's going to bring an end to the discussion from the match. A lot of people coming out a lot of people coming out from this match have called for Arteta to be sacked after this match. Um, I will say it's quite concerning that out of all the games, we have two more games in August. We haven't scored any goals yet and we've conceded two. If we don't score at West Brom, that means we probably get knocked out of the Carabao Cup. And if we don't score at Man City, which I don't think at the rate we're going it's actually going to happen, we might not have a contender for goal of the month, which is going to be extremely embarrassing. I don't know what Arsenal are going to do for that. but So yeah, going back to the point, a lot of people are calling for Arteta's head. But coming back to the question, I don't think Arteta will get sacked even after the Man City game and they lose. Um, for the club to back him with an excess of £100 million, I don't think they'll make a, this kind of a knee-jerk reaction two results I think they'll definitely give him possibly until November to try and turn things around I mean after Man City we have Norwich Burnley Spurs I believe something like that we should be picking up points there we should be <laughs> uh, and if it doesn't then I think Arteta's position becomes um, close to untenable at that point but again, another thing that's going for Arteta 
is that I believe, well, I believe what's really going for him is that Ar um, but Arsenal spent a long time trying to get Arteta to become the manager of Arsenal. You know, if you remember after Arsene Wenger left, Arteta was one of the people they tried to get in as manager, but you know he was classified as inexperienced, and I don't know how one season later he's more experienced. But uh, there was that. So the, they chased Arteta for quite some time, and I don't think just a gut feeling that they would ditch a man after putting in that much effort that quickly so there's also that Arteta coming out from this match did mention that he's missing like nine first team players I don't know if it's actually nine probably nine but he's definitely missing at least five players you know Gabriel wasn't in our defense Partey wasn't in our midfield, Odegaard couldn't play in our attacking midfield, Ben White wasn't in defence, and Lacazette could not start the match as well. That's pretty much the spine of this team. So Arteta does have some justifications there, but again, more excuses? On one hand, it is more excuses. On the other hand, if after this Chelsea game, we turned around and said, you know what, we're going to spend £200 million pounds to fix these problems. We're going to bring in a striker, two central defenders, an attacking midfielder, as well as a central midfielder. I think people wouldn't be too unhappy having said that. Now, all those five players actually are worth in excess of £200 million. So they are not cheap. And they are our first team players and they make up our, uh, our spine of the team. So let's, let's caveat this result with it. Uh, of course, coming into the match, I don't think... Well, I did predict that we might pull an upset here because of our recent form. But I think most people could compartmentalise that we're coming up, we're coming up against the champions of Europe, and it was going to be a tough match. So there, there's that. All right, so that's going to bring an end to our discussions for the Chelsea match. Let's move on to um, a preview for our West Brom game, Carabao Cup second round match against West Brom. Now this match on paper looks like an easy victory for Arsenal. You know, we, we haven't been in the second round of the League Cup, Carabao Cup, in like 20 plus years or something extraordinary like that. So I think, I think we should have the expectations of getting to the next round. And it would be incredibly embarrassing if we get knocked out of the League Cup before even any of the big teams enter the competition. Right, so there is some pride at, at stake here. Now, ordinarily, when we get drawn against... A championship side I think it would provide an easier game compared to a for example Premier League opposition however the circumstances that be are that Arsenal have lost their first two games and and have not scored any goals while West Brom on the other hand come into this game on form they've played four games already not including their their preseason they've won three of them and drawn one of them and they've managed to score 11 goals in four games. This is a team in form, while we are not. Again, it should be an easy match on paper, but 
in essence, it's not going to be an easy game at all. And I think Arteta will look at this and, well, he doesn't have much of a choice. Even if he wanted to play the youngsters, he's already playing the youngsters. So I, I sincerely hope we win this match. I think my prediction for this would be 3-2. I think we'll score some goals in this match, but we will concede some goals at the same time. I think 3-2 will just edge this match out. Having said that, I think here's going to be the predicted lineup. He's going to stick with four at the back. It will be Ramsdale in goal. I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles will be at right back. Only because I think Hector Bellerin's going to be leaving the club because of his tight calf. That's why he's not in the side. I think that's what's happening. So I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles will be at right back. We'll probably stick with Holding Marie because I don't think we have any, uh, any other options there. I'm looking at Tavares to start at left back. I think in midfield it's going to be Elneny and Granit Xhaka. Attacking midfield-wise, Smith Rowe will be there. I think we might see... I think we will see Reese Nelson. I think we'll see Pepe. So Pepe on the right, Nelson on the left, Smith Rowe in the middle, and I think Aubameyang will start this match. So that's going to be my starting lineup for this game against West Brom. So the last time we played West Brom, we did beat them 4-0 at the Hawthorns as well. Lacazette got a brace in that game, I believe. But yeah, it's going to be it's definitely going to be a different beast coming into this game and hopefully we can bring back the W and we can continue the cup run. No team news has come out just yet. We don't, we don't know the status of uh, Martinelli or Kieran Tierney. So it's going to be a pretty sparse look at this game against uh, West Brom. So I think I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. So let's 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 come back to the Chelsea game and we'll do the player ratings. So, player ratings for the match against Chelsea. So, Leno in goal, I would give him... Honestly, Leno in goal, I'll give him a 6 this game. Uh, he, a, main, a big contributing factor to the 6 was his save against Lukaku's header. Um, but at the same time, one thing I did want to point out from Leno's performance was that every time he collected the ball, he really tried to encourage play from his defenders to get them up. You know, his passing out, his distribution was actually all right this game. But he tried to hurry up the defense to push out. And it was so annoying to see the defenders slowly jogging out when he's sprinting to the edge of his box and he couldn't find any runners. So it was nice to see him try something new in this, in that sense. But yeah, definitely. Uh, he conceded two, ga two games. He conceded two goals, but I think he had an all right match. Cedric... Cedric is a confusing one because many people, after coming out from this game, said Cedric had a bad game. I don't think he did. I think he, he played an average game, so I'll give him a 5 for it. Is he our future right back? No, he's not. He's a good deputy for right back, I will say that. You know, he doesn't really put a foot wrong and he can actually cross the ball pretty well. However, in this game, we just didn't see him cross the ball very much because he didn't get up the pitch on that right-hand side. All our play came from the left and... I, I guess it's sensible play for him to stay back. You know, we can't have both our fullbacks bombing down the flanks. He had one cross in the second half, I think, or maybe the first half, and I think that's about it. So defensively, I don't think he was shaken too much. 
as well. I think he controlled Kai Havertz. Not completely, but he nullified him to an extent. So, five. I don't think he was that bad. Marie, three. Honestly, I was quite close to giving him a two, but I think a three, purely because of his, his all-round defensive game wasn't too bad. His most glaring error this whole match was his battles against Lukaku when he just got out-muscled from the ball. But other than that, he he played alright, to be honest. I mean, look back at the stats, he, he was alright. So that's, that's the only reason why he doesn't get a two. Now, holding, I think he actually fared much better against Lukaku. I think he, he was, it was a favorable matchup between the two of them. And I think he actually enjoys the scrap between a big, burly center forward like that. I think that's what, I think that is what gets Rob Holding out of bed in the morning. Holding, I'll give him a, a four for this match. He really should have scored. I, every time I look back at it, he really should have scored. You know, the game would have been so different if he did. But yeah, four. You can't give him any higher than that, if you ask me. Tierney, um, I think four as well. He can't give Tierney any higher than a four because two of the goals came from his side and was his errors, you know. And I think four is really generous on my part as well. But he did, he was our... Not creative hub, but our attacking hub down the left-hand side. Everything basically came from him and his crosses. So I, it's a balancing act, and I think four is a little bit generous, but I'm going to stick with a four. Lekonga in this game, yeah, I gave him a seven this game. I thought he had a pretty good game. I would have liked to see him be a bit more physical in the midfield, but again, it's his own. It's only his second match in the Premier League, so I think we have to temper some expectations there. But in terms, of, in terms of everything else that he provided in this match, it was really good. He, yeah, it was really good. So very happy with it. And he's one of the bright spots in this match. Shaka in midfield. Honestly, five. I'll give Granit Shaka in midfield, I'll give him a five. He didn't have any glaring errors. He had his cynical fouling, which is really nice. He didn't really contribute to the play much and he had to drop back into defense to, you know, sort that out at times. So it was a very Granite Shaka type of performance this game. Nothing too good, nothing too bad. Five, standard. For Smith Rowe, I'll give him a five. A standard game, again, from Smith Rowe. I think this is what we expect from him. His first touch in the box is exemplary. You know, there's once where... I think uh, that there was one moment where Cedric crossed the ball in. He controlled it with the outside of his right boot, worked the ball into some space, took a shot, but he was crowded out. Uh, not only that, but his, his running with the ball, he really got the crowd onside. End product just wasn't there in this match. So, five. It's what we expect from Smith Rowe, I guess. Pepe, ooh, Pepe, I'll give him a four. It really should have been a three, but he only gets one mark higher because of his decent corners this match, which I think, again, is a stretch for me. I think it's quite generous. But Pepe, he didn't have a good game. Not a good game. Saka, very quiet as well. I'll give him a four. Uh, defensively, he wasn't really there. Attacking-wise, he was just crowded out. Double, double team, basically, every time he got the ball. Tough game from Saka, but... People know his quality now, and they, they are adjusting to him, so he will need to adjust his game to this. 
wasn't great so four Martinelli I would say three three I know some people will give him less than that but he was really feeding off scraps the entire game well he wasn't even feeding off scraps he didn't have scraps at all to feed off you know he was basically just running after the ball for 60 minutes it's not his fault it's just the way that the team plays so three I feel like that's an excuse for all our center forwards except for Lacazette because he can actually play with his back um, to goal so yeah tough game from Martinelli but that's a discussion on Martinelli to be had I think at some point like is he gonna be a striker or left winger you know I think he's quite effective on that left wing and however at times I think he yeah I think he, he can be quite effective down that left flank uh, similar to Aubameyang but his knack for a goal is just extraordinary I think that's why people attempted to put him up at center forward but right now He's definitely not a centre-forward. Um, he doesn't have the attributes to be a centre-forward. He's more of just, you know, press the ball. Try and win it back up the field, you know. that, And, you know, if you get a chance, try and score. That's as much as you can say about him. Tavares, all right. I mean, he's a sub, so I'll give him a five. Uh, nothing too bad. Aubameyang, five again. Can't really say much. Balogun, five. Uh, not much time to impact the game. Uh, so yeah, just stand at five from the subs. Came on and yeah, kick the ball around for a bit. Alright, so that's going to be it for this podcast. Hopefully it will be released before the game against West Brom. Now just a reminder for our Malaysian audience, the game is going to be at 3am on Thursday morning. So another early game for us here in Asia. Um, but yeah definitely oh well actually i'm hoping i can get coverage for it because i don't think it's going to be covered on the platforms that i watch the games on so that's going to be that but having said that thank you for listening to the podcast i hope you enjoy yourself and i hope your tetaric is finished and satisfying of course don't forget to share this podcast with your guna friends and you can obviously find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms uh yeah so Until then, hopefully Arsenal beat West Brom at the Hawthorns in a couple hours' time. Take care, stay safe, and I'll catch you real soon. Bye.